Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we're going to be doing another video on the gay wedding controversy. This time, it's not with Alistair Begg. It's with a Calvary Chapel pastor, uh, Calvary Chapel Gulf Coast, to be specific. And this isn't the largest church in the world, but there's a few reasons why I want to do this video. One, a lot of people want to make this type of compromise, something about Reformed theology versus non-Reformed theology. And I think this is a bit of a, you know, red herring. It's a bit of a rabbit trail that really ultimately has no correlation to it. The thing is, uh, Calvinistic theology is the present and future of American evangelicalism. As, you know, we're kind of moving away from that Arminian past, because if you go back 100 years ago, it's not like there was less compromise in the church being fought a hundred years ago, but Arminianism was dominant a hundred years ago. Uh, so right now, a lot of the people who are fighting back and the people who are compromised are all, you know, soteriologically aligned. So it does give the appearance, but this stuff exists in the Calvary Chapel as well. And I do got to say, I do like Calvary Chapel as a denomination. They're not perfect. They're not my theology, but as far as dispensational, charismatic-leaning denominations go, they're probably the best. Uh, they don't have women pastors. They are institutionally not very woke at all. They didn't lead the fight against that stuff. But here's where they did lead the fight, and they were the best on COVID, denominationally speaking. So, some credit to Calvary Chapel for this. And hopefully, with this video and this story, they come get their boy... Because one of their pastors is going down this trail of saying that gay weddings are okay for Christians to attend. And we're going to be examining his arguments in today's video. But first, I will let you know, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. We broke the story on Alistair Bank, and no one's talked about this clip yet either. So, again, we do news gathering and commentary here, and that's our bread and butter as far as what we do differently than other Christian YouTube channels out there. So, with that said, that's the Patreon-like system's one way for you to support us, but the key way that you can do that is liking this video, subscribing to channel or podcast if you are new. That is the least you could do, and it would be greatly appreciated. So, uh, we're going to head on over to Calvary Chapel Gulf Coast. This is not a large Calvary Chapel church. The Calvary Chapel denomination is in some ways, get more geared towards creating megachurches. They're very much geared towards radio ministry. They're, they're big on radio ministry. So I, I don't know how high this guy, whose name is Bill Mosley, is in the ranks. Mo Mobley. Mobley, not Mosley. Uh, Bill Mobley is this pastor. And I, I don't know how high he is on the ranks of... Calvary Chapel pastors. He's no Jack Hibbs at, at Chino Hills, if that's what you're asking. But this is a clear compromise, and these are also bad arguments that he brings up, using Mark 2 in order to argue in favor that Christians can attend gay weddings. So here we go with the clip. To be in the world but not of it, as Jesus had said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 23. And despite how it may appear to the isolationism prescri prescribed by religious legalism, 
and we think about how that has been imposed upon us in our lives and the idea that Jesus would congregate with tax collectors and sinners was appalling to the scribes and the Pharisees because they interpreted God's law as instructing isolationism, especially from tax collectors who were the worst of the worst. They were, they were known to be criminal in, in the eyes of the people because they worked on behalf of the Roman government and the way that they earned their wage was to charge over and above what the Roman tax actually called for and they imposed taxation on the people at the tax office with a Roman soldier holding a sword right behind them to enforce whatever it was that the tax collector said about what you owed the Roman government. And if the tax collector could get you to pay more than what the going tax rate was from the Roman government, which was already bad enough, that's how they earned... Just a quick fact check. Roman taxation was far less than what we pay now. Now, did people have more disposable income back then? That's, uh, again, they also had real money back then. So, yeah. Just a quick fact check on that. But you see the category that he's setting up is social outcast. And that's what tax collectors largely were. They were social outcast. And their keep. And they became very wealthy on the backs of the people. And so they were hated. They were ostracized. They were set apart. And whoever these other sinners were that joined these tax collectors, that's a pretty rowdy bunch. That's a pretty bad group of people in terms of especially those who are supposedly followers of God, supposedly religious people. I don't know if any of you have ever been invited to a gay wedding. So I got to pause right there. So does Jesus think highly of tax collectors in general? And the answer is no. I mean, he clearly teaches, let them be to you as a tax collector. So he's clearly not admonishing people for hating tax collectors collectively. And he also, you know, chooses Matthew, but Matthew stops being a tax collector to follow Jesus. So he's rescued out of that lifestyle. And that's what Jesus did. And again, being a tax collector might not have been categorically sinful. It led to things that categorically were. But it was more that they were traitors among their own people. Now, what he's about to transition to is far worse and it's not about, you know, and what he's talking about would violate, you know, the, what the Bible would call for how to handle this type of situation. That's something that happens more and more these days, doesn't it? And so automatically we assume perhaps, and, you know, I'm trying to make you, I'm employing this example so that you can feel the way that they would have felt about hanging out with tax collectors. Is it okay for a born-again Christian to attend a gay wedding? I'm not saying yes, and I'm not saying no. Then but what saying, I am yes. saying is you're going to be facing that decision in all probability at some point in your life. And I have known many people in this church that have already had to face that decision, and they wrestle with that decision. What's presented here is 
appalling to the religious people. And for some of you, automatically, the idea of attending a gay wedding is appalling, something I would never, ever do. And, and that's okay if that's your conviction. You should always follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. However, it does seem to present itself here that if the decision is on the other side of the point or, or other side of the coin, that you can be a redemptive presence in the midst of wicked sinners. That the decision shouldn't necessarily be automatic, no. And admittedly, this, the decision should not be automatically yes, either. It should be something that we seek the Holy Spirit for guidance about. And that's been my guidance to people that have asked me whether it's a Christian thing to do to attend a gay wedding. So I, I got to wonder, is this guy sterile from sitting on the fence so much? Like, how, how do you... Like, how do you have balls when you sit on the fence like that? Well, let's kind of break this down. Does he know what a wedding is? And, you know, it's a Christian belief that going to a wedding is, first of all, affirming the marriage. That's the purpose of going. Secondly, you're a witness to the marriage. That, that again, is pretty important. You know, just like witnessing a crime is kind of a big deal witnessing a marriage is a big deal thirdly the people who are at a wedding are generally charged with upholding the and supporting the marriage they're supposed to help out with the marriage they're supposed to affirm the marriage they're supposed to you know help prevent divorce they're supposed to support the new family unit being created again that's a long-standing Christian view on marriage and wedding ceremonies. Ironically, it's also the argument that Russell Moore employs against going to a gay wedding, but he would go to a gay wedding reception. So what Alistair Begg and also Bill Mobley articulate is to the left of, of Russell Moore, who's a flaming liberal. So they're articulating a more liberal position because they're saying, you know, eh, they're straddling the fence on this very hard. And you're eventually going to get weighed down and split open if you want to straddle the fence. It does not work in Christianity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he's not giving a decisive answer on this dilemma. And it's really not much of a dilemma. You know, the Bible refers to homosexuality in a, as a criminal sin, like it should be illegal. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament prescriptions, you know, death or exile, it was that it was to be treated that severely. And we've lost that. It used to be a crime in Western civilization. It no longer is. So we've lost that. We've really fallen away from a more biblical standard on this issue to the point where we're now saying, can I go to a celebration of sodomy and still be saved? Well, and this isn't a salvation issue. This is a sin and obedience issue that you're not willing to suffer an ounce for Christ because you don't want to risk offending family members. There are so many believers out there that have lost family members from converting to Christianity. 
there are so many believers out there that, you know, well, I mean, again, the first thing I said about losing your family members from converting to Christianity, that's called bearing your cross and suffering for God. There's a lot of people whose, you know, religious convictions set them apart from their family. And this type of position, again, is another insult to the people like uh, Jack of Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop, who went to the Supreme Court, or was it Kim Davis, of uh, the uh, county clerk in Kentucky, who resisted in her capacity to affirm gay weddings. Like, it's an insult to C Christians who have actually suffered for their obedient stance on this very issue. We shouldn't throw those Christians under the bus by going to this gay wedding, which again, there's not a there's not your presence there is a tacit affirmation at a minimum to what God calls an abominable union. This really isn't a no-brainer. You can't you know, show up to this wedding that's not going to help them repent of that sin. Your absence would do far, would have a far greater impact in causing this relative to repent than your presence. Will I somehow be harmed by doing that? Will I be recognized as someone who supports gay marriage just by my mere attendance? Well, is Jesus being recognized as someone who supports tax collectors just by his mere presence? There's a lot to think about in this chapter as it's presented to us. A lot of points to wrestle with. But the, the point here is that they felt from what they knew and their life experience as, quote, religious leaders... They felt this viscerally. This was horrible. This was ungodly. This was blatant ungodliness on Jesus' part. And, and they thought about it in ways that we don't think about it in, in the idea that the same way that we take communion with Christ, that when we eat the same thing at the same time, we become like one another, right? Metabolically experiencing when we take of the bread, as Jesus takes of the bread, when we take of the juice, as Jesus takes of the juice or wine in the original uh, unfolding of that story, that we are becoming like one another because we're eating the same thing at the same time, and, and those fundamental ingredients are being absorbed into our bodies so that we are literally, physically becoming like one another. And that was the point, that we are spiritually becoming like one another through communion with Jesus. And the physical manifestations of that were the representations of it. And so in the same way that, that the, this push is made, and you can probably think of other examples, you know? Um, maybe some of your family gatherings are entirely ungodly, and you've gotten to the point where it's, I'm just not even going to go anymore because I feel like in order to maintain my spiritual condition, and especially the way that people view my life, that, that I don't want to be associated with these wicked, ungodly people. These are tough decisions, but they shouldn't be automatic decisions. And just as some of you right now... See, again, this is another category you know, error that he's making because a wedding is not just a family gathering. It's far more than that. God instituted marriage and you're attending 
a celebration and an initiation of an abominable union. You would not attend a, you know, who would attend a marriage of someone who left their wife to marry the mistress? Like, that's not something that you would just attend. I, I don't see how a Christian would attend that marriage. Or, let's switch up the example. In Islam, they have the Hajj. Let me go and worship God at the Hajj. Like, no, that's not biblical. That's not a biblical way to reach those people, to legitimize their idol worship. Or, you know, if you want to go to, uh, you know, it, Israel and go to the Wailing Wall, which is not a biblical relic at all. There's no, you know, biblical significance to that at all. But nonetheless, a lot of Christians pray at these things. And it's not something that you should really do because it's kind of idolatrous. But this, gay weddings, this is a religion too. Homosexuality is basically a cult. And this is their sacrament. This is them, this is that cult's celebration of winning over on a Christian culture. A once Christian culture. By shoving gay marriage, you know, through the courts. This is a victory lap for that. False religion. So there's no biblical justification for a Christian attending a gay wedding. It's a betrayal. It is something that should invite censorship and church discipline. Because that's not you taking up your cross and denying yourself. That's you denying Christ. In order to not offend your family member or your friends. He doesn't recognize that. One last clip. But they shouldn't be automatic decisions. And just as some of you right now are probably upset with me about even presenting this, this idea. And, you know, I, I anticipated that that would be the response, even though you're, you're laughing and you're smiling. Probably in your heart, you're saying, what is this guy saying, that it's okay to attend a gay marriage? No, I'm not saying that at all. He is saying that. The fact that he's saying, you you know, it's not an automatic no, it's not an automatic yes, does, in fact, logically mean he's saying it's okay. Like, why does he have to lie about his own position? I'm saying if you do, it won't change you, and it might change them. Don't rule out the possibility. And admittedly, these scribes and Pharisees, as they view Jesus, they've just absolutely ruled out even the possibility. And Jesus brings it to the level of of a physician. So I'm going to stop right there. Uh, Yeah, this isn't a good sermon at all. And like I said, your presence there will not have the impact you think it's going to have. Short term, it might salvage the relationship. It might keep it going, but it's not going to bring that person to Christ. Your absence in upholding a biblical standard, being willing to suffer for Christ, in the long term, will more likely lead that person to Christ than attending a gay wedding would. 
why do you think that you can do evil so that Christ will be glorified? That's not what we're called to do. So, uh, again, this is Calvary Chapel, Gulf Coast. And I generally have positive things to say about Calvary Chapel. Uh, They were great on the issue of COVID compared to every other denomination. But they need to come get their boy. And he done messed up. So, that's all i got to say about that. My name is Ray. This is the Evangelical Dark Web. If you like this content, subscribe to the channel. If you're new, until then, I will catch you on the next one. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.